Good morning. You all know this lovely face, our deacon in training, and uh, it has come near the end of her training period, and so we had to get her second required sermon in. So she's going to be delivering uh, to us today from the Lord's Word. So let's have a quick word of prayer over her before she gets started. God, we thank you for raising up servants like Kim in your church to have one foot in the world and one in the church so that we know the needs that are in the community around us. And we have uh, these deacons to send out and to preach the gospel and to bring healing and ministry to those who are in need. Thank you, Lord, that you also give an anointing for opening up the lips of these servants to preach your word. We thank you for Kim today and ask that uh, the anointing of your Holy Spirit would be on her heart, her mind, and her lips as she opens your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Charles Dickens calls the story of the prodigal son the most touching story in literature. There's a boy, and he runs away from home, he gets into trouble, and he decides to go back. He had gone on the quest of his life, but he makes an awful mess of things. Now he's willing to trade his cherished freedom for that of a job as a hired servant. So he starts home, and on the way, he rehearses in his mind a speech. Father, I have sinned, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me a hired servant. But when he gets close to home, he discovered that someone was looking, longing, and running to meet him. And the speech that he had so worked hard to prepare instead was smothered in the embraces of his awaiting father. This might have been a really good place for Jesus to have stopped the story. Maybe at this point we are nodding our heads of approval because it's a happy ending. But Jesus does not stop there. He goes on to point out that there is more than one kind of sin. There is more than one kind of sinner. There are sins in the far country, and there are sins in the Father's house. The Father in the Gospel reading today has two sons. Most likely we're acquainted with the younger, the prodigal. Maybe that's because we can relate to him. The term simply means wasteful, and that he certainly is. He squanders his inheritance right down to the last penny. He wastes his good name, and he ultimately ends up a bum. But eventually, he turns his life around. He goes home, and he makes a fresh start. Maybe he's our favorite, because he is who gives us hope. For no matter how badly we have failed, there's always the possibility of beginning again. He allows us to have faith in ourselves, and not only that, but he keeps us from giving up on other people. Now the older brother, he's different. It's hard to find fault with him. 
He's an honest, hard-working kind of guy. You get the picture that he works probably six days a week, and on the Sabbath, he's in the synagogue reading the scriptures and saying prayers. He's almost too good to be true. In our culture today, it seems to me any political party would certainly want him as their candidate. They'd have no need to worry about a scandal because he was as clean as they come. They'd probably never dig any dirt up on him. The older brother is a good man. But the problem is, he knew it. And he's eager to let others know it as well. He's quick to remind his father of his virtues as he points out his stellar record of obedient behavior and years of faithful service. No one can deny that the older brother is good, but I wonder if it might have been better for everyone if he'd have been quite not so perfect. There's a quote that Shakespeare says, They say the best men are molded out of faults, and for most, become much more the better for being a little bad. The story today is being addressed to the tax collectors and the Pharisees of Jesus' day. There's a major difference between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. Jesus was a good man. But they were good men. But the qualities of goodness are not at all alike. Jesus is warm and inviting. He's beautiful. He is approachable. But they seem hard as steel, cold as ice, and full of judgment. The Pharisees keep apart from the non-religious types. They're too concerned for their own purity and perfection to risk being contaminated by sinners. This is what troubled them most about Jesus. Because Jesus not only hangs out with the sinners, he loves them and he forgives them no matter what. There's no contingencies. So what do we make of this older brother? He doesn't attend the welcome home party out of jealousy. If anything, he feels it should have been for him. Or maybe he's just too good of a man to mingle with the least of these. The whole thing maybe was beneath him. But in the end... It seems he finds himself absorbed in a lot of anger. Perhaps he sees it as God has let him down, for he deserved better than this. I wonder what might have happened if the older brother would have spent a few days himself in the far-off country. What might we have learned, or what might he have learned, from pain, hunger, or loneliness? Might he have then put his arms around his brother and said, Welcome home, my brother. None of us 
however good we are, will ever have the right to look down on anyone. Unlike a fairy tale, where everybody lives happily ever after, we're left with a cliffhanger. We don't know the choice the older brother makes. Even though the father tells him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. Does he trust or does he not trust in God's all-forgiving love? Forgiveness is the most powerful thing in the world. Happy are those whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. These are the very words we said in the psalm today. Eugene Peterson's, the message version of the Bible, says it like this. Count yourself lucky. How happy you must be to get a fresh start. Your slate is wiped clean. Wiped clean, friends, if that isn't good news. And this is news that we need to take from our head and let it go to our heart. You see, forgiveness is healing, and it affects everything. The psalmist today articulates a pretty painful image. While I held my tongue, my bones withered away because of my groanings all day long. I wonder if there's times in our life when we hold on to things and we don't take it to God. Maybe it's bitterness or anger, maybe even doubt or unbelief. But God can handle our doubts, our anger, or anything else we dish out. But that's the key. We've got to let ourselves go, be vulnerable with him, and be real with him. Because we are not meant to carry such a load. About 10 or 11 years ago, I was part of a team for a Curcio weekend. Curcio is a movement within the Episcopal Church. It's a weekend retreat, and it's immersed in love, and the presence of the Holy Spirit is just everywhere. As a member of the team, our goal is to simply allow ourselves to be totally surrendered to God and to be used as vessels to guide and reach out to the participants or the candidates who will be attending the weekend. I remember specifically praying to God to remove anything from me that would hinder me from allowing his spirit to fully work through me for the purpose of the candidates and their weekend. The vision he gave me will remain forever etched in my mind. I am walking through a serene area of a mountain on a canopy-lined trail filled with beautiful trees of all species. And I think it's all species because that's what our life looks like. We run into all kinds of people. And they don't all look like us. They don't all behave like us. They don't all act like us. 
And I see myself very clearly. And I see Jesus. He's following me. I was in the lead. Yet ever so subtly, I I feel him drawing near. Before I knew it, he is beside me. But he forges ahead to take the lead, his rightful place. It became quite clear to me. I knew Jesus was in my life. And my vision confirmed that. But he was not in the lead. He was not in the driver's seat. I was working so hard trying to do and be everything that I thought I needed to do and be. And that had become my problem. I needed to step out of the way. He was to lead. Because he is God. I am not. It had become about me and my own self-sufficiency. I needed forgiveness. Thy will be done. Praying will reveal what's in our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. He will bring to surface whatever it is we need to discover about ourselves. Search me, O God, and know my heart, and test me and know my anxious thoughts. That's words of the psalmist. There's nothing that anyone in the Bible has ever experienced that we have not experienced. When we acknowledge what is revealed, what comes to the surface in our spirit, when we confess it before the Lord, repent and turn from it, he is faithful to forgive us and imputes no guilt. We always have a choice. But when we hold on to these things, they only build up within us. And it is then that we can relate with the psalmist saying, I keep silent and my body wastes away through my groaning all day long. We can experience physiological effects or worse yet, we can feel alienated from God. The truth is, God knows what it is even before we can bring it to him. Psalm 139 tells us, even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. We're not hiding anything. So we have the choice to carry it or to bring it to him. But we've got to know his desire and his love for us is to set us free from that burden. There is freedom in confession and a peace that only God himself can and wants to fill us with. May we forever be aware of that joy. And this comes from knowing that we are redeemed, healed, restored, and forgiven through the power of the cross. It's from this place of joy 
that we then are able to perpetuate that same forgiveness to others. Today we are still in Lent, yet Lent is not meant to obscure the Easter message. In fact, liturgically speaking, every Sunday in Lent is to be a respite from Lent, a respite from our self-denial. And every Sunday is, in fact, a celebration of Easter. So with this in mind, let's look again at the Father's words to the prodigal. Because these words should ignite a fire deep in our heart. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. There is something here happening. Resurrection is happening. Jesus simply says, call out my name. I will answer. I am faithful. I am by your side, not just in the good times, but the bad times. I will rescue you. I will forgive you. And I will throw you a party. It is time to rejoice. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretch out your arms of love on the hardwood cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in the power of your Holy Spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen.